Good morning to all of you. It's good to be able to be with you virtually this morning again. I can't wait until we're all together in this room, worshiping the Lord together. And I don't have to imagine your faces. You'll be here, I'll be here in the flesh. It's hard to believe that it's been eight weeks since we've been able to gather together. It seems to me like the year is, is moving on without us. I know that these restrictions, they feel, they feel tiring to all of us. But personally, I am so grateful that infections are slowing, that our state is working towards reopening, and that we as a church can plan in earnest what it will look like for us to be together. And I pray that God would sustain you until that day. And now as we turn to God's word together, I ask that you pray with me, asking God's blessing upon this morning. Father, thank you for these means that you have given to us to worship you. Father, we praise you that we are not deprived of your word. Father, I ask that you would overcome the distance that we feel because of these screens. But Father, we praise you and we give you thanks because you are faithful to your word. Now use it to strengthen our hope when we are confronted with the fearsome reality of our own sin. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. This morning our psalm is Psalm 51. This is our third week looking at the trials that we face as believers and what it means for us to put our hope in God, in the midst of them. This morning, we're going to consider what it looks like to hope in God when we are confronted with our own sin. This trial is in some ways not like the ones that we've looked at so far. We've looked at trials that come upon us, like seasons of spiritual darkness and the day of trouble and what it looks like to hope in God in them. But what about when we sin? How do we hope in God in the face of our sin? Psalm 51 was written by King David after a massive moral failure. God's hand had been on King David. And David walked closely with the Lord. But at the height of his kingdom, when Israel was fighting enemies on a foreign front, David did not lead his men out to battle like he usually did. Instead, he stayed at home, strolling on his rooftop. One day, he saw beautiful Bathsheba bathing. And instead of looking away and ending the temptation right then and right there, 
He let desire settle in his heart. And he called for her, and that led to adultery, and then a child. And then David, feeling trapped by his sin, he sent for his commander Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, with the hope that David could woo him into a night with his wife, and he would think that the child was his own. But Uriah, being a righteous man, did not enjoy the comforts of home. Instead, he decided to sleep outside because his men, the men who were in his charge, were sleeping outside in tents, fighting an enemy. He had no right, he thought he had no right to go home and spend the night in the comfort of his wife. So David, now panicked, writes a sealed letter, and he sends it in Uriah's own hand to his military commander, Joab, commanding Joab to arrange for Uriah's death. Can you imagine the feelings of duplicity rising in David's conscience? Here he is. He's the the king of Israel, God's chosen servant. He knows God's law. He knows God's commands. They must be piercing his conscience. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not murder. And he receives word from Joab that the deed is done. And the secret is shut up in David's tortured conscience. Until God tells the prophet Nathan to go and confront David in his sin. Psalm 51 is born out of David's wrestling with what he had done. And it shows us how we too can place our hope in God in the face of our own sin. So please open your Bibles with me at home and follow along as I read. Psalm 51. This is God's word to us today, beloved. To the choir master, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet had went to him, after he had gone in after Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being." 
You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Psalm 51 gives us a model for placing our hope in God in the face of our sin. There are two movements in the psalm. First, David confesses his sin openly and honestly to God. And then he cries out to God for his mercy. These are not quick, perfunctory, or trite. They're flowing out from a man who has been plagued by the weight of his own sin. He's crying out for restoration and relief. Listen to David in Psalm 32 Reflecting back on when he was seeking God in his sin, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. David is anxious to get out from under the weight of his sin. You see, we were not created to bear the weight of sin. God created us to enjoy fellowship with him and with one another in perfect righteousness and holiness. Our bodies and our psyches, they begin to break down under the weight of sin. And more than that, We're definitely not made to bear the weight of God's wrath on sin. So David comes to God seeking relief from the increasing weight of his sin. And when he comes, 
He does not hide his sin from God. He takes full responsibility for them. And he confesses them openly before God. Look again with me at verses 1 through 3. He writes, Blot out my transgressions, my iniquities, my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Listen to how he takes ownership for his wrong. My transgressions, my iniquities, my sins. He does not make his faults seem small or insignificant. He doesn't shift the blame. He doesn't come to God with any air of self-righteous pretense or use over-the-top language. He doesn't catalog his sins. He merely lays his sin openly and honestly before God. And he cries out to God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David's cry for God's mercy is based on God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love is his covenant-making and covenant-keeping love. It's God's steadfast love that commits himself to his people, to us, and to our good. It's father-like love. Picture the father of the prodigal son, the love of the father for the prodigal son. David is looking squarely into God's father-like love, his commitment to Israel, and all the promises that God has made to his people, and asking God to be merciful to him in accordance with that love that promised them so much good. He is like the prodigal son, covered in mud in the pig trough when he remembers his father and he thinks his father will receive him. Likewise, when we in our sin, when we are in our sin, we can confidently come to God and place our hope in God's extravagant mercy because of how God has committed our, himself to us in Christ. Picture God offering the Son to you, offering Jesus to you. That is the extent of his covenant making, his steadfast love. David came to God because God had committed himself to his people. And David trusted that because God had committed himself, he would be merciful. Beloved, how much more can we come to God? We who have seen the Father's love for us in Christ. How he's committed himself to us. And can't we call on him to lift us from the weight of our own sin? David calls on God and he needs God in his mercy to do three things. We can see them in verses 1 and 2. These three petitions that then echo throughout the rest of the psalm. 
He prays, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Transgression speaks of a betrayal, a break in trust, crossing the line. David knows he needs God to heal the break in their relationship that has resulted from his sin. When I'm aware that I've wronged Dana, there is an instant feeling of estrangement, of distance. Even though we're standing right next to one another in the same room, I can feel like we're miles apart. The joy that I experience in our relationship has dried up. I can feel like there is actually something physical between us that's keeping me from enjoying the relationship and that's impeding my love for her. David feels this estrangement that, with God that has resulted from his sin. God is distant and his failure is before his eyes. He says, I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. His sin is a wedge between he and God. And he needs God to hide his face from it and let him hear again of joy and gladness. He fears that this estrangement that he feels with God may be permanent. So he prays, verse 11, he says, Cast me not out of your presence and do, take not your Holy Spirit from me. No doubt he's remembering what happened to the King Saul before him. That God withdrew his spirit from King Saul. And Saul ended his days estranged from God. And so he asked God in verse 12 to rejuvenate his heart with a joy in an awareness of God's salvation and to restore him to useful and to willing obedience. As believers, we do not need to fear that God will withdraw his Holy Spirit from us like David did. We have been sealed with his Spirit in the new covenant. And this same Spirit now works in us to draw us near to God after we've sinned. To turn us from our sin and to receive God's mercy so that we might once again enjoy his fellowship and usefulness to him. David's second need, he prays, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David needs God to clear his guilt before him. David broke the law of God and now stands guilty before God. David's sin was not absent-minded neglect. It was deliberate and prolonged. He has blood guilt on his hands and he calls on God to purge him as with hyssop. Hyssop was used to sprinkle blood and to cleanse and purify. And he's speaking of it metaphorically. He's asking God to, to take away his guilt. David isn't asking God to remove him from the consequences of his sin. 
In fact, we can read about the consequences of his sin in 2 Samuel. No, he wants, he wants all the aspects of his relationship with God to be made right, to be made whole again. And third, David prays for God to remake his sinful heart. In verses 5 and 6, he writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David recognizes that the problem runs way deeper than a mere lapse in judgment. He confesses that he was born in sin. That he was sinful from the very moment of his conception. And he knows, he knows that that God desires truth in his heart, in his inward being, not sin. This word desire means more than a mere wish, fanciful wish. Think about it as the desire that a young man has for a young woman whom he wants to make his wife. It's a pursuit. He desires her. He pursues after her. And likewise, it's not just that God wishes for truth to rule where sin rules. It's that God is working in David to instruct his heart in the way that it should go. Look at the next line. He writes, you teach wisdom in the secret heart. David recognizes that he was born in sin, but he also recognizes that God does not leave him there. In fact, he's teaching his sinful heart wisdom and truth. But David knows that that's not enough. So he prays in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Only God can create. David knows that he needs more than wisdom and truth. He needs a new heart. He needs his sinfulness to be completely dealt with. When we are confronted with the weight of our own sin, our heart aches with these same three cries. God, I want to know your fellowship, the joy of your salvation again. God, clear my guilty conscience. And God, God, transform me so that I may not be haunted any longer and tyrannized by sin. And David gives us a model for coming to God and placing our hope in him. Confess openly and honestly before God. Pour out your heart to him and cry out to God who has set his love upon us in Christ. Listen again to David in Psalm 32, reflecting on how after this moment, how God has dealt with them. He says in Psalm 32, Blessed 
is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. God forgave David. And David did not, and God did not merely cover his eyes to David's sin or look just, just look past the offense. No, he forgave him on Christ's future work on the cross. David's debt was paid. He was reconciled. And his sin was defeated. And God is willing to forgive all who throw themselves on his mercy, trusting in that same all-sufficient work. When you sin, confess and call out to God that he might bring the riches of the gospel to bear in your soul and that you might once again know the joy of God's salvation. Let me close with this poem called My Advocate. I sinned, and straightway, post-haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, This soul, this thing of clay and sod has sinned. Tis true he has named thy name, but I demand his death, for thou hast said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing can righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse day and night. And every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose from God's right hand before whose glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled, the guilty sinner dies. But wait, suppose his guilt were all transferred to me, and that I paid his penalty. Behold, my hands, my side, my feet, One day I was made sin for him and died that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan fled away. Full well he knew he could not prevail against such love for every word my dear Lord spoke was true. God has purchased our pardon so that we can put our hope in him even when we sin and look to him to restore to us the joy of his salvation. Please pray with me. Father, I ask that you would grant us the confidence to flee to your mercy in the face of our sins. Father, you have given us Christ. 
that we might come to you with confidence, asking for you to restore us to the joy of your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.